would like to welcome everyone to this episode of the Acknowledgement Podcast. As always, we have a very special guest here with us today. Please give a warm acknowledgement to my brother, Mr. Malcolm Thomas. How you doing, sir? Oh, doing great, sir. Doing great. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a privilege and a blessing to be here with you. Man, it's, it's a blessing to have you. You know, we talked a few months ago, and uh, to, to a testament of the great work you're doing, you know, it took us a few months to get all our schedules coordinated so we right. could actually sit down and, and do the interview. So Yeah, but we're here. Know, exactly. <laughs> we, we're here. It's, it's, it's great. And, uh, you know, we've been talking in between. But, um, you know, one thing I really appreciate about being able to highlight people in my life is I get to share a little bit of just how significant people are and, and the work that they're doing. And, you know, mm -hmm. one of the things that really motivated me to start this podcast was uh, just a random conversation I had with an elder gentleman in the grocery store. And mm -hmm. um, we were just kind of talking about produce at first. But then it really turned into like a whole conversation in the parking lot about his life and the things he had done and, you know, just really an extraordinary life. But if you looked at him, you may bypass him because it was nothing externally standing out right. about, you know, right. and it really got me to reflect, Malcolm, like, wow, imagine the 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 extraordinary or extraordinary people that we bypass all the time. But because there's nothing catching our eye or, you know, flashy or, or glamorous, we, we may miss out on an opportunity to garner some insight and wisdom from that person. So yes, your brother. You know, just um, from what I know of you, I know you're in the education space. I'm definitely going to give you time to, to speak on that. But uh, mm -hmm. just share, give, give, give our audience a little bit of background about you and who you are and, and how you got to the point that you are at this point. Okay, well, I'm uh, as you said, my 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 given my born name is Malcolm Thomas. I'm uh, born and raised in Pittsburgh. Okay, so I'm a Pittsburgher, and um, attended schools here. Uh, was a was a creative type of person. So initially, I'm thinking I'm going to go into some sort of arts or something of that sort. But when I got into college, I went to Penn State University, and I was coming up during the time when a couple things were happening. One, as we talked a little bit about this, there was kind of a, a movement in music to talk more about social things and historical and cultural things. Right. And that really grabbed me. That grabbed me. And also, um, I'm saddened to say that I didn't read in high school. Mm. I was a reader as a child. I was an avid reader. When I got to high school, it was almost like a silent protest so I just wouldn't read the books. I'm the one who introduced Cliff Notes to our high school. Oh, really? Uh, anybody seeing this from Peabody High School? Shout out, shout out to Peabody. Right. That was me. So I said, y'all, we don't have to read these books. We can read these little things here. So I'm the one that brought that to the school, unfortunately. But I read um, a book called Siddhartha. Ah, uh, that's one of my favorites. One of my favorites as yeah. a senior because the teacher was a substitute. Her name was Miss Esp Esposito. Shout out to Miss Esposito. She was a sub. Yeah. And she recommended the book. Okay. So I read that. It was my first book I read from cover to cover. Wow. 
And then I read the autobiography of Malcolm X, who I was named after. But I had never read about him. I had actually read the Cliff Note version of Malcolm X. Right. (laughs) Right? Right. I read that book between my senior year and college, and it, it really changed my life. I can't, you know, I know people have different stories on books, but I actually teared up. I teared up, man. I re- was reading the book, and I was—I I started crying. I was like, I—I I felt like I understood what my life was about. Wow. When I read the book, I remember looking at my wall on my bed, and everything looked different. I can't explain it. It's like everything looked different to me all of a sudden. Right. I was like, this is—this explains everything to me. Wow. And I literally went back and I—I I apologized to some people for things I had done. I was like, I didn't know better. Right. I didn't have the strength to do better. I didn't understand certain things and certain things I just wasn't disciplined enough to do. And I started changing my diet. Really? That was it. I started. So this is, this is all significant size. Cause I used to eat for me, my break at the store on my lunch break, I would eat a big thing of Nestle's chocolate, the whole cookie dough. Oh, I would wow. eat the whole thing. Okay. In 15 minutes. Right. So I was addicted to candy sweets. I ate all that stuff. So now I'm starting to eat differently. I, right. I, I said, I'm not eating any more candy. This happened. I, when I stopped reading autobiography, I stopped doing like three things. I said, I'm never doing this, 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 and this ever again. Right. Literally. That's how I did it. Right. And so going into college, I was looking for those types of people. Gotcha. When I got to Penn State, which is a predominantly white institution, the first day I was there, I only saw one black person. The first Maybe day I can think there, saw one black person. One. I remember his, I know his name. His name was Andrew Smallwood. He was an RA. And I called my mom. I said, Mom, this was a mistake. I'm at the wrong place. There's no black people here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I'm looking now for black people anywhere. And there was a big sign that said Black Caucus Meeting. Uh-huh. So I took the poster down, actually. I probably shouldn't have done that, but I took the flyer with me. Right. And I said, I'm going here. I know there's going to be some black people here. Right. I'm just ready. Yeah. And so I joined the Black Caucus and I dove in head first and, and the rest was history. Wow. Um, got into studying culture and I started reading voraciously. Yes. And the, the health piece was important because I hadn't been able to read in a sustained way before that. Mm-hmm. I would fall asleep or I would drift off. And now I was reading books from cover to cover in a week. Okay. You know, I was able to go through a book and get it and like I was when I was a little kid, I used to be able to do that. So I, I, I reawoken, my energy popped up. Nice. And I started getting into exercising and all these things because I, I was inspired by Malcolm X. And uh, fast forward, uh, this was during the era here in Pittsburgh of gang violence. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the two young men that my sister was involved in, one in middle school and one in high school, bo- both of those guys are dead. Really? And so, yeah, so I said, I want to get into the schools and and being an artist or being, and then I wanted to be a psychologist. I said, I think I need to do something with education. So I changed my major to psychology and I was changed to education. I was in school for a while, <laughs> but I did graduate and I, I just wanted to come back and get into the schools. And so I was working with, um, actually with, with one of my cousins, Autumn, shout out to Autumn. And I was tutoring her. Uh, I think I was a probably a junior or sophomore in college at the time. Okay. And I wanted to go play basketball and do something else with my girlfriend, I think, later. 
but I would tutor my cousin for a half an hour in the evenings on Sundays. And I remember it was around this time of day okay, on Sunday. And I was supposed to be there for two hours, I think. And on this particular day, she couldn't get a problem and she started crying. Hmm. And I remember I, I, I started working with her and I was teaching her. This is before I changed my major. And I had her teach it back to me. And I looked up and it was not, it was almost nine o'clock. Wow. So we had been there for almost four hours. Okay. And I had lost track of time. And she got it finally, and she hugged me and started crying. Mm. And I said, this is what I'm good at. Wow. I said, I feel like this is what I'm good at. Yeah. But I feel like I could do it all day, and I didn't care about where I was. And it was a feeling I can't describe. I was like, I feel like I'm good at this, you know? <laughs> wow. And How I old were my you mate, when that happened? I was, I was, I was 19. Wow. 18. I was 20. Yeah, I was 19. I was in college, yeah. so I changed my major. Gotcha. I said, I feel like this is what I'm good at. Yeah. You know, and it was the feeling, something about it. I could, I remember the moment when she finally got it. Yeah. And I was like, yes, you know. And so I went into education and worked initially in social service organizations because I couldn't get a job here. I was on a waiting list. But the guy seemed to be impressed with my interview when I went in from the board who interviewed me for a job. So he recommended me for a program called the Young Fathers Program. Okay. And I went and got a job as a teacher at the Young Fathers Program. So now I'm working with brothers who had dropped out of high school and essentially a GED program, a secondary ed program, um, who were close to my age. I'm like 24, 25. These guys are like 18, 19, 20. Right. And they were, a lot of them were in the street, but it was, we developed a fraternity and it was really powerful because all of them had children as well. Really? So it was my first, and I became the coordinator for the mentoring program. And went through a series of organizations like that. Gotcha. And so where I worked in the schools was a director for a rites of passage program because we did rites of passage with those guys. Right. And they liked it so much that I became a devotee of that as I, like yourself, began to study African spirituality starting when I was 21 years of age. I came across a book by a gentleman. His name was Raul Nifra Amen. And it, and it was the second book that changed my life. It's in 1991. Right. I actually uh, hitchhiked to Philadelphia to get the book because someone said I needed to get it. His representative of in New York, his name is Senator Kevin Parker. And he read this book and he said, man, you need to get this book. It puts Diop under the table. There's a guy named Shake Anthony Diop. I said, put Diop under the table. What? Right. <laughs> and you need to get this book. And I said, what'd you think of the book? He said, I couldn't read it. Mm. He said, but you'll be able to read this. Yeah. <laughs> You got to get this book. So I actually went and hitchhiked to get the book. I said, brother, I don't have any money to pay you, but I had one of those big sticks like the group X-Clan. Uh-huh. And I said, I'll give you this. Right. It's the most valuable thing I own. If you drive me to Philadelphia, I just have enough. I don't have enough to pay you. And I'll ride back with you. I'm giving you this stick. So I have to get this book. Well, how long the drive was that? It was from Penn State to Philly. It's just two hours. But okay. he drove me that he was going down for the weekend. I said, can I ride with you? I'm going to give, I don't have any money for gas. Right. So I wasn't really hitch. I knew him. Right. But I said, I'm going to give you this stick. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I gave him that. Right. In exchange for a free ride. Right. And gotcha. get the book. Gotcha. And that led me to wanting to study more about African history and culture. And so now I'm trying to put that into all the things I'm doing educationally. Right. And I was a part of this thing called African School that we did on campus. I was there for the founding of it. I was not the founder, mm-hmm. but I was there with the founding group. And I became the head of African school, which was a Saturday school about African culture and history. 
and we did it okay. at Penn State. Wow. Right? And I was a part of the drum ensemble, the uh, normal performing arts. And so that, and we all gave each other African names, the whole nine. So just showing you how this whole thing contributes. Yes. And then I got into the educational system here, obviously, and went into the point where I was in the schools uh, doing rites of passage work and was the director of a program called uh, Reaching Back. Okay. It's uh, based on, it was a male mentoring and manhood development program that I currently am still the director of, but then in the schools, my role expanded. Right. And um, I'm now the dean of the school called Life Male Steam Academy. Had some health challenges two years ago. Hmm. Had to leave the schools. Okay. Right during the pandemic. So I was self-employed, essentially. I'm working okay. as a consultant, a contractor hmm. in the schools. They thought it was like I was an employee, but I was really a contractor. Hmm. So the day we went on the pandemic, my income went to zero in one day. Oh, wow. It went to zero. And wow. then when it was time to come back, I had a severely herniated disc and some other problems and I couldn't walk and I couldn't go back and work anymore. So I had no way to earn money. Right. And so I had to practice all these things I had learned, <laughs> these health things. and In other real things. time. For real. Yeah. You know, uh, breathing and, and, and all these other things. And I began to really, really look at it almost like um, like people take a shower or a bath. It was like it's like I had to do it just as a life saving measure. Right. Right. And uh, coming out of that, this gentleman called me while I was in the dark one day in the room. I couldn't walk. Uh, I had covid time and I was having some kidney issues as well. So I couldn't do anything. Yeah. I'm in the dark. And I'm on oxycodone. Mm. And he said, hey, you just came to my mind. I wanted to call and just pray for you mm. because I still want you to be the one to come to my school. Okay. And he's praying for me. He doesn't even know what's going on. Okay. I was probably at my lowest moment at that point. Wow. And I'm in the dark. Yeah. And I said, maybe I'm not supposed to go back into the schools here. Right. And maybe I'm supposed to do this. I couldn't go back. I couldn't. So I went and met with him. Met with him. And I'm the dean at Life Mail Steam Academy. Wow. It's a newly formed school. It's a year and a half old, grades six, seven, and eight. And it was founded for the purpose of creating a, a college preparatory uh, experience. Okay. And also preparing boys to be successful at life. Mm-hmm. To be able to go into our community and be agents of change. Right. There's character cultivation. There's all these other things. And um, the founder, his name is Dr. Daryl Kennedy. And so that's what we're doing at the school now. So that's part of what takes up a lot of my time, energy, focus. Right. Yeah. So you said the school is a year old? It started in, uh, well, the, the, the process for it was a seven-year process, but it opened its doors in August of 2021. Two, 2021. Gotcha. Okay. So coming up on two yep. years in August. Right. In gotcha. August, it will be years. Right. So I guess about 19 months now. Something right, like right. that. Gotcha. Okay. And that's in Pittsburgh. It's in Pittsburgh. It's okay. um, just as you move outside of Pittsburgh in a place called Wilkins Township. Gotcha. But it's, you know, the greater Pittsburgh area. Yes, sir. Right, right, right. Okay. And you, what's your main responsibility there as director? Well, as a dean... 
you know, typically a dean is someone who deals with discipline. Got it. But but we look at the dean's position. We try to reimagine the dean's position. <clears throat> and I look at it as a position for behavioral cultivation. Right. Um, and myself and my partner, his name is Joshua Colbert, created a program called the Manhood Maximizer. So what we try to institute is a program that cultivates virtues hmm. for school and life right. and cultivates uh, role success. So there's these five roles that we've identified that a male plays, son, brother, mate, father, and also the role you have with yourself. And I'd like to say your higher self. Right. There's these five relationships that have to be intact for your life to be successful yeah. and you get into those incrementally and sometimes simultaneously for some of us, but you play all, all of them during the course of your life. Even if you're not a father per se, you have to learn how to be a caretaker of others. Absolutely. Even if you're not in a relationship where you're married, you're in relationships of partnership, you're in intimate partnerships. And so how we succeed at those is critical because success is, is acted out in relationships. Uh -huh. And also a part of the maximizer is health. So we looked at the fact that a lot of programs don't look at the energy for success. Uh -huh. so how do you have the energy to be able to focus your mind, to be able to do certain things? A lot of what we call character issues are energy issues that people have. <laughs> there you go. And then, yeah. and then lastly, what are the skills that you need, the certain skill sets? And we identified these eight skill sets that you had to have in life. Mm. One is energy cultivation. The second is behavior modification or learning. The second is, third is effective communication. Right. The fourth is relating, how to, how to attract and harmonize in a relationship. The fifth is how to emotionally regulate yourself, emotional self-regulation. Yeah. The next is how to set and realize goals. Gotcha. How to, to, to think critically. And then lastly, how to uh, manage long-term projects through setting limits. Mm. Right. It's almost like the seven days of the week or eight days of the week. And but the, but the foundation is energy cultivation. Right. It's how to how to get your energy to where you need it to be to interact successfully with other people. Mm. And so going back to your question. In my position at the dean, I wanted to look at the dean's role as one of behavioral cultivation and correction. You know, through character development. Yes. Gotcha. Not just punitive. So we're looking at a teaching the right behaviors that right. lead to success and social harmony. And then how we correct infractions and violations through a restorative process, mm. as opposed to just sending you home, kicking you out or just letting you do whatever you want. Right. So maintaining. So the virtues, there's these 22 virtues that we use. And then we identify five for the school. Okay. They're in line with our our uh, mascot, which is the king. Okay. So kind, integrity, nobility, growth, and self-awareness. It spells kings. Gotcha. And there's 22 overall that we're trying to cultivate in addition to these roles, in addition to good energy and health, in addition to these success skill sets, if you will. Yeah. So so what's the process for, and you said it's an all-boys school. It is. Yes, sir. Okay. So what's the process for a young boy who's not in the school to then matriculate into being a student of the school? Well, there's, there's a couple ways to do it, but 
in either way, you can actually come in or you can go online and you fill out an application. Then we do a tour. So we bring you in. So no matter what you do, we try to get you in to see the environment. Mm. And we try to give the student an assessment to see what are their needs. Right. In our initial year, we had students with a very high level of need. I would I would venture to say even unidentified students, over half of our students had very significant learning and emotional support needs. Gotcha. Over half of the boys. Right. Which is an extremely high number. And I believe that there's, a, there's an epidemic of that in the country Yeah. right now. Yeah. And so what happened is there were certain boys' needs that we were having a hard time meeting mm. because in two classrooms, for example, last year, we had nine different reading levels. In other words, we had a person reading at grades one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine in one sixth grade class. Right. In a seventh grade class, we also had someone reading at grades one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine gotcha. in that class. Right. So reading across nine different grade levels in addition to other needs they have. And so what we tried to do was fortify our special education department be able to do some early identification with students to get some additional staff on board. Right. And also see if we're a good fit for certain students. If you have certain severe needs, this might not be the best school for you, even though we don't turn students away. Right. Let's say you have a very severe diagnosis and you need special structural support that we may or not be, be may or may not be able to provide at a high level. We would then try to make a recommendation for you and then see what's the best thing for that parent and then we do an interview with the child and then we try to uh, make sure that they get a sense of meeting certain scholars and getting an experience at the school gotcha. so that we can all figure out how to best serve them so uh -huh. that's how we do it now gotcha okay yeah that's that's a tall order like you said just the deficiencies that are already in the standard educational process or system and then when you look at the unspoken reality of the fact that most times a lot of African-American students have challenges in that structure. And yes, they do. You know, when those challenges start rearing their head, oftentimes they just get labeled and kind of like pushed to the side while that popular train keeps moving forward. That's correct. And, and, and through no fault of their own, our children end up in situations where through trauma, through neglect, through miseducation, through labeling. And I would, I would also say through a lack of identity cultivation mm -hmm. and also very, very poor. We find a lot of our boys have very poor health habits, right? They're chronically deprived. Their diets are not supportive of educational success. Right. So what we try to look at and are trying to do better as a STEM school or a STEAM school, I should say, is the brain. Mm. How do we support proper brain function? <laughs> because if you're sleep deprived, you're eating sugar, right. you're being told that you're deficient in a thousand different ways since you're in kindergarten, that's brain damaging. Right. That has a brain damaging effect on somebody. Yeah. A lot of our boys are saddled with that before they come in, thinking that something's wrong with them, but they're just a product of a deficient environment. Right. 
Right. And it's the scholastic system, more so than even their families, I'm saying, but uh-huh. the systems they're in don't cultivate their genius and yeah. prepare them for life success. Wow. Yeah, that's, um, you know, like, like uh, man, his name is slipping me. Uh, he marched with Dr. Martin Luther King. First name is John. Oh, his name is Slippy. Oh, 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 uh, 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 John. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, he just passed a couple John of years Lewis, ago. John Lewis. John Lewis. John Lewis. That's John good Lewis. trouble. That's good trouble right there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, yeah man. It's um, you know, I'm not a teacher. You know, I'm not in the educational field. But I have done a lot of volunteering in schools, and um, I'm not—I do—I'm I, not like in the space of mentoring right now. But in my past, I was very active as a mentor to mm-hmm. young black boys. I would say black boys were maybe around teenage year, and then right. young black men, like say from 18 to like 21, 22, 23. And, you know, to see the deficiencies and to see the consistency in the deficiencies and then to see it year over year over year, you know, it becomes blatantly obvious that this is not a mistake. You know, this is this is really by design to keep us in a deficient mode. And um, you can't. Wow. And it's just a. Even though I know that, just to hear you say it and have us sit here to acknowledge that, it just gives me chills, man, because what you're saying is so on point. It's crazy. Like, we, it's you crazy. Know, and like you said, you see the genius in these in these these boys or young men. You see it in them. And they just have not been put in the proper arena for their light to shine. Hmm. And because their light could potentially shine so bright, the arena they have been put in has been created to dim their light purposely. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. You know, so it's, um, you know, it's always some work to do because until we get to a point where we really have the resources to control all of the systems, or at least the majority of the systems for our children, and, you know, we're talking about boys, but I mean, our our female children are affected with this as well. Just that that lack of true support, and then to add to it, you and I are coming from an African centered support base, you know. So <laughs> yeah, right, right. So it's, it's just interesting, man. And, <laughs> and that was one of the reasons I I really wanted to bring you on to highlight what you're doing because I know. There's obviously financial obligations and something like the work you're doing. You know, if, if if there's a way for people to research you, find out more about what you're doing, then to be able to financially support you, you know, you you're definitely more than open to, to share that here as well. Yeah. So it, for support, what I would say is you can go to our website and donate. It's lifesteam.org. L-I-F-E Steam dot org and that's you know we we do have a financial uh almost crisis at the school because we're a new school right and we don't have the facilities really to uh, expand the school 
as aggressively as we uh, need to. Right. And to provide certain just physical education and other things. So a lot of what we're doing is off of our, our talent and our energy and our commitment right. and our, you know, ingenuity. Yeah. But uh, so we, we have to come up with probably, I mean, I, I would say we need to have a probably a million dollar capital campaign at the school to do right. some things, but we're just very determined. Uh, the, the founder is a man. The head of school is a man. The founders, because it's, it's Pastor Kennedy and Reverend Felita Kennedy, his wife, um, are just tenacious. Right. Uh, the head of school, Mr. James Chavis, is just a beautiful, brilliant man who I admire and love. Right. And, um, you know, and as the dean, I was brought on to, to bring culture to the school. Right. And other things, but we need uh, a lot of help. Yeah, a lot of help. And when you're opening a new school, it's 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 uh, it's like trying to get a rocket ship off the ground. You right. know, it's, it's a lot of energy goes into the initial phase, more so than I anticipated. I knew it was going to be a lot, but it's it's even a little bit more than that. Gotcha. But it's all good. So right. at lifesteam.org, they can go on to the page where it says donate. Okay. Any and all contributions are welcome and appreciated. Okay. We're trying to create a school model called the Village of Life, okay. where we can create African-American male leadership to help to change this world. Wow. Our founder went to Morehouse, and he said that his experience at Morehouse changed his life right. because he saw black male excellence and so we want to have that standard. Yes. You know, we have these things called the seven wells, uh, being well-read, well-traveled, well-spoken, well-dressed, <laughs> well-balanced, well-connected, and well-led. And so we, we talk about those right. in terms of what it looks like to produce young men mm. who are able to make the world better exactly. and to go back into our communities to reach others. Yes. So that's our goal. We're trying to create a life-saving and life-changing and life-giving um, mm. environment. And, you know, we have an affirmation that we say that speaks to that, that we say every morning with the boys. Mm -hmm. What's that? What's the affirmation? We say, we say we talk life, and it's a kind of a call and response. We say we talk life, we walk life, we seek life, we speak life. Who are we? We are life. We serve life, we respect life, to preserve life and protect life. Who are we? We are life. We love life. We live life. So we shine bright and we give life. Living, intelligently, fulfilling expectations. Who are we? We are life. Who are we scholars? We are life. Who are we leaders? We are life. What time is it? Lifetime. Oh, man. Serious. <laughs> Y'all start every morning like that. We start the morning like that with drums, yeah, yeah. Uh, with drums, yeah. We got the African drums, yeah. My my cousin works there, and I drum a little bit. I used to think I was somewhat serious, but he's a bad man. Okay, he's a special drummer, and so we the boys drum, and and we uh, try to start off. You know, if we're in the right space, affirming the boys, right? With corrective things, I want to make sure we lean into the positive, though. Yeah. But when we're doing our best, community circles. It's, it's just affirming them, right. giving them some feedback, giving them the updates for the day, saying our affirmation, and creating energy for success. Gotcha. 
That's important. Yeah. And that that daily reinforcement, man, that somebody's going to remember that when it's time, you know, when they're at that yeah. point of making a decision in their life, that's that memory is going to kick in that uh, they mm -hmm. said through their own spirit and, and vehicle every single day in school. Mm -hmm. So that's good. That's good. Yes, sir. So I'm curious, you know, I definitely appreciate you sharing with me. I'm curious what, as an educator in the education space, what your your thoughts are on the whole critical race theory thing and the, the, the banning mm. of books in Florida, <laughs> you know, just what, give give us a little snapshot on that from, from your man, perspective. That, man, you know, I'm going to tell you, brother, it was so deep to me because it was so bizarre. I was like, to think that that's they're actually banning books yeah this is like the salem witch hunt right like back in the day here there's a private school out of here and i, I i'm gonna just say it there's so Wickley academy they fired all these staff some of whom were white but most of whom were black or, or many a few of whom were black because they were teaching about black history and culture and they were accused of being critical race theorists. They lost their jobs. Wow. One of them was an administrator. Uh -huh. People protested. And then you look around the country and people are actually banning conversations about American history and world history that highlight the omissions mm -hmm. of black people and contributions. Right, right. It's just a whole nother form of just it looks like something out of like the third reich or something man it's crazy wow. uh, you know it's, it's like you can actually be violating a law right in certain places to talk about these things right right and yeah. so i think it's, it's it just shows the level of um fear that people have of creating a world that's based on truth because when you uncover the truth you can't have certain imbalances anymore certain things can't exist the way they are right when we get the truth out you can no longer have people who are sentenced to lives of poverty and ignorance and mm -hmm. second-class citizenship and trauma and misery and incarceration right. right in the city where i live where a small percentage of african-americans of the city but make up almost half of the people in the in the in the county jail exactly right and this is because of these various types of things that our you know children our people and people in general never get i believe that if if all races were to see carter g woodson said this the creator of negro history week which became negro history month which is now black history month right. he was a second PhD from Harvard, he said, what we need is not a history that glorifies the Negro was the word he used, but a balanced history that tells the truth. Right. That's and if you just do that, the, the Negro or black people will be glorified just in the truth because all these things will happen. And then we can have a real social interaction yes. that's based on mutual respect and a comprehensive understanding. Yes of everybody's contributions. Right. And I would like to add to that, that when you study genetically, according to the research of many others, and it's highlighted by the work of Anensa Amen, 
Mm-hmm. Black human beings, which you call a homo sapien, existed on the African continent 60,000 years before there were any other homo sapiens anywhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. Let me say that one more time. So there's no homo sapiens anywhere on the planet except in Africa for 60,000 years. So they're developing culture for 60,000 years. Wow. So what information, practices, ideas have been lost when we've been taught to look away from that? Right. And not even be able to talk about it. Right. It set the world into a state of retardation. Absolutely. The whole world, right? right? right. And the people who suffer most are the descendants of those people, the direct descendants of those people mm-hmm. who have been taught that they've done nothing and contributed nothing to the world. And they don't understand why we're in the situation we're in. We're just something wrong with us. So we're just fighting each other and right. not doing well in school and right. don't have the same level of, of, of median income as a family. We don't know why. There's just something innate in us. Because we can't talk about what happened to create these imbalances that we experience. Right. So that's what I think of critical race, so-called theory, and understanding that what they're calling critical race theory is not even critical race theory. It's a totally separate thing. Right. There was a legal framework that was presented in colleges. Yeah. They're basically saying, we don't want the teaching of anything black history or a comprehensive teaching of world and American history that highlights what black people have done or gone through right to today. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. And it's, and it's really something that people are putting in as policies now and legislation. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And when you, when you understand the agenda behind that, those decisions it's like yeah. you know we really wow. have to, we really have to be diligent about maintaining our space mm-hmm. and diligent about making sure our children are educated correctly so that yes sir that false narrative doesn't continue and and then deepen because it's like okay you, you, you're trying to tell us the same story but now you're even trying to tell us that we're even less than what you told us before Right. You know, at least, at least we had Dr. Martin Luther King and the civil rights and Jim Crow. Like we could easily talk about that slavery. You know, you don't even want us to talk about that now. We you can't know? even talk about Rosa Parks. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So somebody. Yeah. I know. I know you probably heard this, my beloved brother, but they, what we say is it's really, we're getting another version of his story. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's very important that people of like mind and spirit support each other and do all they can to tell the truth, like you said, like yes. you said, uh, Dr. Carter G. Woodson said, like, we don't have to make anything up. We just tell the truth, what really happened. And by default, our history will be highlighted. And yes. consequently, We'll get the the pride and the awareness and the confidence. Like, yeah, we've done a lot. We're doing a lot and we'll continue to do a lot as a people if we stick to these principles that got us this far. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. 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 Man, that was beautifully said. 
So we're it flew by, but we, we're, come, we're coming up. Yeah, and I want to, and I gotta Go say ahead. one more thing. Yes, yes. You yes, are sir. a teacher because I've been I've been checking you for years and knowing you. <laughs> you definitely are a teacher. So I just want to let you know yeah. <laughs> all the other stuff you do, that's in there, and you've been teaching for a while. So thank you for that. that. Yes, sir. Thank you, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So, um, man, the, the time definitely flew by. Um, Didn't I, it? <laughs> I, I, I reserve the right to bring you back on, you know, as as the school progresses and as, as you get to your first graduating class and you yes. Know, yes. and all of that, man. Because, yeah, uh, yeah what, what you're doing is, is literally God's work. It's mm. it's needed. It's timely. And it will succeed because it's only a matter of time before the tide starts to shift mm -hmm. back to righteousness, back to balance. And, yes. you know, anything we can do to help ride that tide, that's our responsibility and our honor to do so. Because, you know, it's, like you said, man, it's, it's so much beauty, creativity and brilliance and genius in our communities that the whole world will benefit from. And yes. I saw a quote the other day. Um, it said, not only is the black community being stifled, but the world, including the white community is being deprived because mm -hmm. of us being stifled, you know, like mm -hmm. for, for, for centuries, We've been yes. the ones to bring the culture. We've been the ones to bring the cultivation. So if that creativity is being watered down or killed in us, then the whole world is losing out. So definitely salute yep. to you and, and the work you're, you're doing. Thank you. And likewise, I, you know, I just have always, even before we got more familiar with each other, personally, I've always have admired you from afar. Appreciate and just and just have just such a great respect for being able to and really I guess I get a gratitude for being able to fellowship with you like this brother so so bless you man and I just I'm just so happy to be here with you and so I'll take that as an invite so we're going to connect again and just keep doing what we do absolutely absolutely well we like to acknowledge you Malcolm Thomas thank you for coming to the podcast for all of those that are listening Ways to support his school will be in the show notes. So I'll make sure I take care of that. And as we always say, we bid you in leaving as we did when we start in peace and blessings. We acknowledge yes. Brother Malcolm. We acknowledge you. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Peace and blessings. Peace and blessings. <laughs>